Hey folks, uh, before we get started, I just want to ask you to please give us a rating or review on whatever platform you listen on. It's free to do so, and it helps beam the show out to new sets of eyes and ears. Also, please visit our website at raisedbywhoops.com to find out more about the show or to check out some of our merch. We're also on Instagram, if that's your thing. And finally, please consider picking up a copy of my co-host Andrew's new book entitled The Moron at the End of This Book. Short stories from a life, well, lived. It's funny, sad, and most of all, deeply human. If you don't find something to connect with, you may need to reevaluate your emotional depth. That's okay, though. There are people that can help you with that. So please go to moronbook.com for more information. And now, on to the show. Never come 
coming back And I get through every day As they go slowly by When the ship's going out A tear falls from my eye for sweet Annie Annie by the sea Today's episode is a conversation with James Steinley, a San Antonio-based musician and songwriter. What you just heard was Addie by the Sea, a cut off of James' latest record, The Echo Sound, which was released onto streaming services in April of this year. I believe James will be putting the record on his Bandcamp page as well at some point, so if you'd like to support James and his immense songwriting talent, please visit jamessteinley.bandcamp.com. While there, check out his other releases as well, of which there are several. You can also visit jamessteinley.com for more information. Seriously, do yourself a favor and check out James's stuff. It's stellar. We get into all sorts of stuff in this episode, including the Echo Sound, songwriters we both love like Dan Reeder and Hayes Carl, finding one's voice as a songwriter and appealing to the masses as a musician while also maintaining your artistic integrity. Talking to James was a bit like talking to an old friend. He has an extremely affable nature, and I'm hoping we can have another chat in the future. After the conversation, you'll hear another of James's songs, entitled, What I Came Here For. Enjoy the talk, and Andrew or myself will be back soon. Take it easy. Thanks, uh, cool, thanks so much, man, for doing this. Oh, of course, man. Thanks for getting in touch. Yeah, um... Yeah, I know. Uh, I never take it for granted when people jump on here because I know they could be doing a thousand things. But I, uh, uh, I just like to. Um, I don't know. I I just love to talk songwriting and and music means a lot to me. So it's uh, it's just nice to chat with people that you know make it for a living and, uh, and it <laughs> no doubt me- man. means something to them too. So. Big time, man. I'm in the same boat. So yeah. I was a, I'm was a music fan first before a musician. So right on. Yeah. Um, before I forget too, I wanted to mention that uh, I know you're a Dan Reader guy. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, I just found out today that um, like you, you had mentioned that he was on a podcast before, and I uh, mm-hmm. so I, I looked up his name on Spotify, and uh, on Friday um, he released another. Uh, uh, he was on another podcast. And, uh, yeah, that's the one I, I think I just listened to with, uh, what's his name? A guy who's from France originally or born in France, but then oh, raised in California. But, yeah. Pierre. Yeah. Pierre. Yeah. He was like the pop, pop punk world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Cause he was, uh, yeah, think- that's, that's the one I listened to. Cause there was an old one. He doesn't do many of them, but there was one, the first time I heard it, it was, uh, called, uh, what is it? It's, I always got it confused. It's like a hybrid word in Telefy or something. It, it was a Canadian host. Okay. Um, okay. I can't remember exactly. I'll if I find it, I'll contemplify. That's what it's called. Oh, okay. I'll, uh, okay. Cool. I'll send it to you. Cool. Yeah. It was kind of. It was. It was pretty brutal for uh, Dan. I think Dan must have been having a bad day because he kind of roasted him a few times. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It made for a very good listen though. Well, this one with Pierre was man. He just came across as such a charming and down to earth dude. You know seriously man yeah he is a a breath of fresh air from what i gather yeah Uh, and and like it was uh it was i just i liked what he said about uh you know he's like some days i'm looking through my book of paintings and i think you know like 
Uh, yeah, I think some this will be useful to some people, and then other days I, I'm looking through it, and I think, you know, I've wasted my whole fucking life or something. Uh, yeah, man, he sometimes says some eureka shit where I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. it, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, and... Just ar- articulates it well. Yeah, so well, and he's just a... Uh, um, like, I'm a casual fan, so I didn't know all of his work, but, like, um, mm-hmm. but when he mentioned his fav- some of his favorite songs, like of his i think he mentioned mm-hmm. uh you know havana burning and uh yeah um born a worm and young <laughs> at heart and uh what was the other one that i really liked oh uh, yeah it was clean elvis clean elvis and, yeah uh, yeah yeah which clean elvis is just you know that's one of those onion songs that has infinity infinity layers you know you just you just keep listening and you're like oh my god yeah man and like, uh, how did how did i miss that i know kind of thing i know and and uh and the one off his latest uh, EP, um, I think it's called Smithereens, mm-hmm. where it was like, uh, yeah, man. if I, you know, if if uh, if I said what you were, what I was thinking, and you said what you were thinking, this whole thing would, <laughs> you know, he, he, <laughs> yeah, he, this whole thing would blow to smithereens. He just, uh, yeah, oh, he just, he's just really he's, good. Yeah. The master, the master of the complete thought. Yeah, it's like exactly. you know, really, why keep, why say anything else when you've already kind of hit the nail on the head? Yeah, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah, one of those guys that you're listening to the song and you're thinking like, why didn't I think of that? And uh, and then you try to do something comparable and you're like, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that takes a lot of uh, mental distillation that you know not not everyone can do. He can, yeah. He's, he's awesome, man. Yeah. And I'm glad you dig him too. That's always kind of a pretty quick, uh, kind of litmus test, whether I'm, I'm going to jive with someone or not. If, if they like reader, I'm like, yeah, well, we're connected on some other celestial wavelength. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. We can, yeah. we, we can skip all the niceties. <laughs> so you're in, uh, so you're in, back in San Antonio again. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah San Antonio. That's, that's where, uh, um, you know, my mom's uh, from, she's from like a cattle ranching family kind of south in between here and Del Rio. So southwest of San Antonio. Okay. Um, down in what you call the, the Chaparral or the Frontera, which is like the border, the borderland. Okay. And uh, then my dad's from San Antonio. So they met, they met later. He was uh, practicing pediatric dentistry in a small town down there. Uh, and that's when they met. Oh wow! So okay. yeah, yeah. So long, long story short, uh, San. I, I went to school in Austin, stayed there for about six years afterwards, and then uh, when that just kind of got unsustainable, cost of living wise, and kind of zeitgeist shift wise, <laughs> decided to head back to San Antonio because it's just a it's a much more laid back place. I know you talked to Garrett, so he already ran you down on that. Yeah, yeah, I um. Yeah, I mentioned in the email too that I was just down in your part of the world, and and I I spent time in Austin and in San Antonio, and yeah, like I yeah man I cool. uh, I agree, like yeah, San Antonio definitely had a um a, a big town, but definitely a a quieter feel, and uh, and you know just a little bit less uh I don't know some some a little a, a little less hip, but I like that in a, in a good way. I mean, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, the way I yeah the way I describe it, it's you know from the music scene's perspective, it's like it's it's slower, it's less hip, but the real like kind of one of the kind of I, I don't know how to describe it, not the the fa- push factor or pull factor or whatever. It, there's something about it being a huge military town, and I think <laughs> one of the byproducts of it being a large military town is like there's not like everyone kind of 
that's in the military seems to only give a shit about you know like going to work and yeah <laughs> that. yeah so so there's kind of there's kind of this like residual uh laid backness that isn't maybe necessarily like conscious right it's it's uh so because of that you know it kind of just already takes on this you know different culture because it's a, a military and a spurs town you know at, at heart and yeah also like hair metal town which is also a byproduct of it being a military town yeah yeah uh, yeah i yeah. i thought but, but, i drove past the paper tiger and that looked like a, a, okay. a bit of a metal bar or something like that yeah yeah it used to be called the white rabbit back when i was in high school and the white rabbit was you know exclusively screamo and yeah hardcore and and that and then when it shut down and got uh kind of re-upped that's when it started to diversify but and that's not all, all that stuff is not necessarily knocking on the the culture there's so much cool culture in san antonio but that is one of the reasons it is more laid back than austin just because it kind of has a like a different set of priorities in the economy yeah 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 for sure um yeah, yeah I, I, it was uh it was a it was a cool place. I mean, we we uh, cool man. I, I, I went to where else did you get to go? Um, I well, we spent two nights at the Rose. Um, cool. you know, just because you know Garrett mentioned it, and I, I didn't see any music there, but like I just, you know, we just don't have cool bars like that in. in I, was, I was gonna say it's in Toronto. It's almost sacrilegious. Yeah, it's almost sacrilegious to say, but it, it's almost better sometimes to be there on the the non-music nights yeah it's just such a well yeah it was just like yeah, me cool me room. and my common-law spouse and like the bartender and and like you know like a couple in a booth making out or something and then we and and, <laughs> and i just we just sat there and having some drinks and played played some doug som on the jukebox and uh, uh i was gonna say yeah. the righteous jukebox yeah man it was uh it, it's just it's i wish it was my local just such a cool spot yeah yeah man yeah. Get, get a little spoiled that's for sure yeah. and garrett you know garrett's kind of doing the lord's work kind of willing uh you know a little more of a i don't know how to say this not i don't mean this in the context anyway, but more some some interesting culture you know like yeah. san antonio is not really an original music town uh it, it hasn't been you know like i said it is typically when i was in high school it was a metal town and it's uh you know uh a Latino Chicano folk music town. Those were kind of the two things that we had going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not, not as much folk music in, in the sense of, you know, the Americana line and uh, punk rock and things like that. So it's been, it's been really awesome to see Garrett kind of just like <laughs> will it into existence in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I really admire like, like I'm not the most outgoing person. So like when I see mm -hmm. somebody like Garrett, like kind of take the reins in his hometown and kind of like be a community organizer like that. And, uh, you know, just like sort of, you know, build community around music. Like, I mean, it's just, it's kind of, um, admirable to look at because, it, yeah. because it's uh, like, you know, man, I, I, you have some balls to, to do stuff like that. You know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. It's kind of a crazy when I, you know, realized what he was doing, uh, just kind of a insane endeavor in a way, you know, like yeah. in the, in the back of my head when it started, it's like, man, I don't know if that's going to work just because it's, it's such a tough sell, uh, to get people to, you know, listen to stuff that they haven't been told is cool. Yeah. You know, just like go out and experience something new. And, uh, he is, he's done it in spades. You know, he's Garrett's the man he's, he's the DIY man for sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, cool, cool town. Yeah. We, we other than that, we just, you know, ate a bit of Vietnamese food. Didn't know that there was a big Vietnamese community there. <laughs> 
Uh, there is, man. It, There's a lot, yeah, of, a lot of good grub. Yeah, so we ate that. And then, uh, you know, I went to, I wanted to see John T. Floors. So we went up to, what's that town called? Helotus? Helotus. Helotus, yeah, which is, you know, roughly, roughly, it's the Ang- Anglicanized spelling of it, but it's corn is what it means. And that's, you know, a lot of, a lot of corn country over there, west of San Antonio out towards okay. Helotus and Castroville. And yeah, it's a lot of good farmland. Yeah. And I heard you say way. on another, like, I didn't know this when I was there, but like, I just kind of took pictures from the outside. I didn't see anybody there, but, but when I, uh, I heard you talk about Robert Earl Keen being like a, he played there quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he, um, had a famous, uh, number two live dinner. Uh, which was one of the records I grew up, you know, it's probably the first memory I have of music. Honestly, uh, my dad had a tape of it and it was kind of jammed in his truck. So that's pretty much what was on repeat. But uh, okay. he, he recorded that um, with kind of, I guess at the time, the only difference in his band lineup was this guy, Brian Duckworth, who runs kind of an old historic fiddle shop in New Braunfels, Texas, but he was, his old roommate from A&M and best friend and played fiddle in the band. And that was kind of the end of his era and then moved into Robert's like modern band. But anyways, it was, it was a big kind of famous Texas cult classic, that record. Right. Right. And then uh, they did a reunion show, I guess. Well, I can't remember what number it was. I'm bad with numbers, but it was about oh, 2018, I guess is when they did that. But it was really cool. I got to go with my mom and, see that and it was you know oh, nice. they pretty much re- replayed that whole thing with the original band and the new band oh wow, uh, wow. on the same stage yeah, and like lyle lovett was there and uh billy joe shaver which was hilarious like billy joe like before he passed away actually no i get that twist yeah yeah i get that twisted that was actually uh willie nelson he used to play there on fridays when my mom was in high school so oh, no shit she would oh. she yeah so she would go with friends and so billy uh, willie had a show there I guess, yeah, that was also around the same, maybe a year before that Robert Elkin show. But anyways, Billy Joe like came out, he opened the show for him and he would do this thing where he'd go up to the drum riser and he would start clapping really loud off beat to try and fuck the drummer up. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was the funniest thing. Nice. This nice. <laughs> old, yeah, Kung Fu Billy Joe up there trying to screw up his drummer. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, y- yeah. yeah, man. I, Classic. W- like when I, like before we went down there, I, I kind of, you know, I got a, I put a bunch of sh- Texas songwriters on my phone just to kind of get in the mood because we we drove down. Oh yeah, so uh, we we drove down from Canada, so we had a lot of time in the car. Oh, nice listen. man. Yeah. What what route did you take? What states did you get to go through? I guess. Um, so we crossed o- Midwest. Yeah, we crossed over in like Detroit, Windsor, and then like mm-hmm. you know you go like I don't know like Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, okay. and then we um, uh, Missouri, and then into Oklahoma. And then, okay, cool. yeah, and then down through. So we, we kind of did like, Sweet. we kind of did a bunch of cities. We just, we had, it was a two week sort of whirlwind. We, we did like Tulsa, Dallas, Fort nice, Yeah. Man. Tulsa, Dallas, Fort Worth, um, Austin, San Antonio over to Houston and then up to Little Rock in, in two weeks. So okay. it was pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah I was going to say yeah. that is a, a there, a there and back whirlwind, but you got to see some cool stuff. I love Tulsa is like one of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite kind of. Uh, and I wasn't expecting that the first time I went there, but I really like it a lot. Yeah, I liked Tulsa. Like, I mean, it it seemed a little like a little on the conservative side, but like at the same time, oh, yeah. at the same time, like you know, it was really cool to see Kane's ballroom. Um, yes, definitely. You know, I didn't again. I didn't see a show there, but I just you know. Yeah. But then, um, you know, I I um I went to. The, did you go to Mercury? I did. I went past Mercury Lounge, okay, cool. and um, and then we went cool. to the Dillon and the Guthrie centers there. 
uh, nice. the museums there and uh, and the colony is like a songwriter room there. Okay. Uh-huh. And yep, uh, yep. yeah, and then um, yeah, um, I think like Turnpike was playing there a couple nights after we we were down there in March and they were playing there, but we didn't we didn't get to see them. But yeah, it's a cool town. Though. Oh man, cool yeah. Town. yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's kind of like an inception town because there's all that old oil money that built that massive infrastructure, but sometimes it's just completely dead. So you kind of look around, you're like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why is, why is this here? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. It's just beautiful, cool. man. It's just, it's beautiful driving through. Like I grew up in a rural community here in Canada. So like, okay. it just, it mm-hmm. kind of reminds, like driving through Oklahoma reminds me of driving in rural Canada, like just empty roads and like, just i don't know there's just a, a majesty to it that i just you know like around no around doubt, where yeah. woody guthrie grew up like in okima there that whole area mm-hmm. like it's just farm yeah. farm country and like empty roads and like you feel like you're the only person on earth driving through there you know oh but, yeah i know the feeling well yeah i love that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> but anyways man um enough about my bullshit um no, i want to I, I want to um i want to get to uh to some of uh to some of this record here the uh the echo sound and i did see your um i did see your uh instagram post today um oh my rant yeah man um yeah because i didn't you know I, i'm a big ranter i had i love ranting yeah well i watched your uh man from the mountain um youtube video too <laughs> nice and, yeah that uh, no, was a little less composed in that one yeah that was uh well i just um you're a good talker man you're very articulate and uh you're entertaining to listen to so it whether you think it's ranting or not like it's entertaining <laughs> entertaining ranting so thanks man yeah I've, I've tried to develop my filter over the years but uh yeah it's funny when i i when you told me that uh you had saw you see what am I trying to say? When you saw that video, the, the interview that Garrett and I did at Take Root yeah. in uh, Groningen, it was just so funny because I think I was so, that whole festival thing was such a fluke for me that I was so kind of, I guess, what do you say, in shock, but also I was, uh, it was the first time I'd been out of the Texas uh, music scene in a while. So I kind of, uh, I felt the need to have a release and just kind of speak freely about yeah. all the things that bugged me about it. Right, right. And, and, I, and I forgot it, that we did that. And I, I looked back and watched it after you told me that, or tried to watch it. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what is going on? Well, that well, that was one of the first videos that uh, I like. Like I had knew I knew of you and your work. Like I had listened to you on the Hippies and Cowboys podcast. Okay. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I heard you on Cloud Watcher Uno or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. that, yeah, uh, that guy's a nice dude. Wow, that's Mo- Mohinder. Yeah. yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah, uh-huh. and um, so I, you know, I I knew of you and your work, but I hadn't really done a deep dive. And then when I was um, when I was uh, getting ready to talk to Garrett, I was looking up some interviews that he had done, and then I came across mm-hmm. that one. And, uh, of you. And I just thought, you know, um, I don't know, like, like I just said earlier, you just seemed like a insightful, well-spoken dude. And I thought, you know, this guy'd be pretty cool to talk to, I'm sure. And, um, and so I, I started, you know, listening to a lot more of your music and, uh, yeah, it just, uh, you know, what I love about your records is that, you know, there's some musicians that I listen to and, um, like, you know, like a song might immediately grab me, but like, you know, I, I only listen to it like three times and then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this artist. I, you know, yeah. but with yeah. your stuff, I don't know. It's kind of a slow burn for me. Um, you know, I, 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 I listen to it and then I'm like, that's really interesting shit. I, I gotta, you know, and it's like, it's kind of like a trail of like 
nuggets that I have to follow. It's like it's in, there's something sure. compelling about this, but I'm not sure what yet. And then I listen again and again, and then you know by the sixth or seventh time, it it clicks for me, and then it's just like music that just sort of stays with me. So. Um, oh man, yeah. no, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, no, it's I don't know what you call. A, I don't know what you call that, but I mean, I just it it just seems like it's it's music that um just kind of sticks to you. So, you know, it's it's kind of weird. Like I guess I would say uh, I'd call it like like lyrical preservatives or something. I don't know. Like all the people that I like listening to, uh, um, or the people that have actually resonated. You know, there's I've listened to everything over the years, and there's you know an eclectic trail of songs that all have influenced me in a way, but really the, you know, the inception of me wanting to write songs was the discovery of, you know, you've heard it a million times, but people like Brian and Guy Clark and Terry Allen and Tom Waits. And, you know, those were the people that it was the same thing you just described where I like would, I'd find my entry point song and I would wear it out. And then I would move on to another one that maybe didn't resonate with me at first. And I would be like, what the fuck? How did I not hear that the first time? And then that would become my new one that I wear out. And it, I would go through the records, not necessarily in a linear fashion, you know, more of just like, I mean, and it, and it, it depends. I, I know it varies for everyone. For me, like, you know, there's a, a few tracks still on, you know, some of guys records that I just now, you know, after years of either listening to them passively or skipping over them, you know, now they're my jam. It's, it's really a, yeah. A strange thing so i don't do that consciously that's kind of more right consciously like that i think that's just more of a natural osmosis from those guys you know or listening to those people and their songs and yeah yeah you kind of you just pick it up subconsciously and and you really you're really good at putting a record together like i mean you know like some people just you know and, and again i'm not i'm not shit talking anybody by any means i'm just saying like no, some some, some records you hear you know it, it's like it just seems like a collection of random songs and yeah, and, and, and i mean for you like you just seem to really put a lot of effort into arranging and sequencing your records and that makes it so much more entertaining for the listener in my opinion um thanks man. yeah i'm trying to stick it to the spotify ceo you know yeah he he had did you see that shit no i don't know he was oh uh, he released something a while back and it had everyone really ticked off which i thought was kind of funny because it was the least surprising thing ever basically he said something along the lines of like records are you know outdated and like our algorithm our algorithm is not designed to like you know distribute records or get them in into playlists he's like singles is the way of the future which yeah there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with that but to me that just you know kind of fuels the cop out of what you're talking about where you know if if you start telling a, a generation of people that create music that records don't, you know, don't matter anymore than of course, like you said, it's just going to become a collection of songs, but yeah, I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't have to participate in that right now since I have a, a day job. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, focus is more on just putting the record together. So it, I appreciate you noticing that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like I've just, I don't know. I've never been a playlist guy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with people who listen to playlists, but I just, I mean, yeah, I, nah. I like the, I just like the, obviously the concept of a record. So like, I didn't, I, I, like, you know, I'm I'm glad I caught that Instagram post uh, today because I I hadn't really read a lot of press about the Echo Sound, um, mm-hmm. but um, so I was kind of I was trying to sort of figure out like, okay, 
it's got like a bit of a nautical seafaring sort of fishing theme and i was trying mm-hmm. to figure out like okay where's that come from and i thought my first thought was like maybe he's like thinking about like my first thought was like went went to like guy clark living in like uh member like i think he spent some mm-hmm. time in rockport texas yeah the south yeah the south coast of texas yeah that, yeah that like record I'm, yeah that rodney crow produced yeah yeah and so like i, I my yeah. first thought kind of went i'm like i wonder if it has something to do with like the gulf like the gulf fishing towns or whatever but um and the shipbuilding down there and stuff but then uh mm-hmm. but then you said today that it, you envisioned it more of of being like a town in new england or something <laughs> yeah well i used to i remember i can't remember what it, it was on cable when i was like in third grade or something and the perfect storm came on uh which is based on that um i forget what the boat was called but uh, a series of you know new england fishermen that went off and got caught in a storm and all drowned and it scared the piss out of me <laughs> and it still and it stuck with me the imagery of the film stuck with me over the years and then uh i i've always subconsciously written some nautical songs like that's kind of how i organize my what becomes a record or at least because i'm very as you'll probably be able to tell in this conversation pretty like uh add like i i really get distracted easily and follow different paths and so like what i've learned to do over the years is notice trends and what i'm doing right in terms of what i'm writing and where the places are i'm writing about and then kind of instead of you know, getting disoriented and not knowing which way to go, be like, all right, well, it seems like I'm writing a lot of songs about, you know, uh, like there's one song on the record called Island in the Bay. Yeah. And uh, uh, long, long story short, because that would be a whole nother <laughs> hour of podcast. But I, I, I'm from San Antonio, but I lived in uh, Saudi Arabia for about nine years and then Germany for about two. Right. And right. when you, when we were, when I was in Saudi, the, the company my dad worked for uh, worked with the Saudi government and they did a thing called your ex expatriatism expatriation. I can't remember exactly the the very end of it, but basically you were paid to leave the country for about three months of the year. Uh, oh, okay. It was, it, it was just kind of a, a deal they had with the Saudi uh, Royal family and things like that. If you worked for the company. So basically if you were a non-Saudi national, so what we would do, a lot of people would go home wherever they were from there, it was an international community, but um, we would always usually travel somewhere because they'd kind of just write you a check. And uh, one thing my dad did is got his, uh, yeah, it was great. It was a great deal. <laughs> and uh, my dad's kind of a wild man by nature. And he uh, got his captain's license uh, when we were there, like sailing captain's license. He just got it out at the, we were on the Persian Gulf side of Saudi. So not the red sea. Um, and uh we, he would go over there and get it on the weekends. And so long story short, we didn't, we'd go to Croatia some, uh, and Greece some, um, nice. and he would basically just rent a boat at the Marina. And then we'd bring a couple family friends and the family and we'd just go port to port. Um, and it was, you know, shortly after Croatia's, uh, you know, war for independence, I mean, less than a decade out. So it was still a pretty, it, this is pre Game of Thrones, right. Croatia, but right. ba- basically we went we went to this island a lot called Havar, and there was a little marina where you could because uh, all these marinas usually had a fee for like the overnight, and this one didn't have one. So my dad, uh, who was notoriously kind of a cheapskate, <laughs> he's like, "Let's just go over there," and it it always stuck with me uh, that that island. It was like this tiny little rocky island with a little cafe on the cliff, and so I wrote. 
that song uh, during the pandemic. And, you know, just randomly, I wasn't trying to write it. But then I paired that kind of with the idea of the echo sound, which was a song I'd written before unrelated. And it was like, all right, well, I seem to be harping on this idea of this, I don't know, fishing village or maritime town. I didn't know how to describe it, but it, it kind of gave me focus in terms of like a prompt to write about. Okay. And that's kind of, that's kind of usually my process these days. I'm sure uh, eventually I'll just get back to, you know, writing songs and, kind of more what you were talking about just a collection of songs yeah but uh uh there's this guy terry allen who really he's a texas panhandle songwriter from lubbock yeah. and visual artist yeah. yeah he's one of my heroes and uh he kind of i guess was the initial inspiration to kind of create a prompt as opposed to just like writing songs per se okay yeah know. yeah so, it's, so that's kind of the long the long way of saying you know like I, I just would notice subconscious trends and instead of just writing what i feel i'm like well why don't i try and create like a cohesive idea as opposed to just spitballing yeah in a way yeah so yeah my uh, um my common law wife there's a huge i, I mean i might big terry allen fan too but she's probably a big a mm -hmm. bigger fan than i am but we were just in uh columbus ohio and uh um, -huh. he uh he has these sculptures in the city there oh yeah it, it, which ones are there um there's like three deer that yeah the anamorph deer yeah the ones yeah that are, that are like, like positioned yeah, like human beings or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh man yeah he is yeah he's one of my heroes i went uh Years back, me and my buddy Brian Broussard, who plays in a, a great honky tonk band in Austin called Mayu and Broussard, they've been around forever. Um, but we went out to LA and I've only played like a handful of festivals and they've all literally been flukes in terms of how they how I ended up getting on them. But uh, we went out and did this thing called Echo Park Rising. Okay. It's like the kind of the south by southwest of Echo Park. And we went and uh, had about you know a morning to kill when we flew in so we went uh, to the la louvre and they were doing a a month-long terry allen exhibit so they had lots of his original visual art that i had never seen that was just mind-blowing mind-blowing stuff yeah yeah i i had never um i didn't really know he was like a sculpture artist i mean i i pretty much had just listened to juarez but doesn't mm -hmm. um yeah. does san antonio <laughs> a have a um like a sculpture park with some of his stuff in it or Am I, am I believe I think he might have a couple pieces here. I've never seen them. I actually just recently read an article that was talking about the locations. I know Austin has, uh, I think it's down by Zilker, the Botanical Gardens. I have to double check that, but it, he has that one that's like an old, uh, I don't know, it's like an old car, an old bronze car sculpture that he has down there. Okay. And then he has the businessmen which I think that's in Kansas city. Cause I remember he got a bunch of shit for that where it's like a, one of them's like a businessman in his suit and tie and his head is stuck in the wall of the building. Oh, nice. <laughs> and yeah. And, and I think that tickled because it was right outside of a, a big like commercial business district. And so I think it was a little, uh, they didn't realize what they were paying for when they hired him. Right. Right. <laughs> but, uh, is he, yeah, no, he, I know his stuff spread out. Yeah. And, and does he still like, where, where does he live now? Like Lubbock or is he, uh, he's in Santa Fe. Yeah, oh, he's Santa been Fe. in Santa Fe. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's from Lubbock, and then he went out to LA in the, the '60s, I believe, and then made his way back to Santa Fe, and he's been there for, I mean, again, horrible numbers, but I think it's around like 40 years or something. So he, I think, pretty much just works on 
sculpture and stuff and then he plays you know maybe a couple weeks worth of shows a year like he'll always play at the paramount in austin and um so that's always a good time when he gets his uh his crew together right right when you lived in austin did you go out much to for to shows or like like did did you like (laughs) to watch too much yeah yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah Yeah, that was another reason i had to head south a little bit you know get somewhere where there's not as much uh nightlife options uh but yeah, I mean, I was um, like I went to UT, and uh, once I turned twenty-one, I never had a fake ID. And uh, once I turned twenty-one, it was pretty much game on. Where yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there there'd be a few weeks where I'd be like, I should probably, you know, just stay home tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was just, I mean, it was such an interesting, cool period that I mean, I guess it was basically two thousand. Uh, thirteen, fourteen, up until you know, pandemic beginning uh it it started to kind of shift there you know and everyone always talks about you know back when this town was cool and all that stuff but yeah. uh it was kind of the end of an era i guess you could say in terms of just that that kind of old austin feel you know before it started to really grow in the tech industry and yeah um, yeah there was kind of a new in- influx of that kind of you know, I don't know how to describe it, but kind of like the the franchise culture where you could go, you could go to any major U.S. city like Nashville or Austin or whatever, and you know they'll have the same Whole Foods that has the same layout in the same place, and the you know, and it it kind of was this really interesting era where it was you know Carson McCone was still down there, and uh, yeah. like I said, my friends Mayu and Broussard and everyone was you know swapping songs a couple times a week. We'd all you know get together and share the stage and. Yeah. Um, like, uh, yeah, it was just a really cool time. I was very fortunate to be there then. So where, um, like what bars specifically did you play the most? Like in, in terms of those oh. song swaps and stuff like that? Well, in the beginning I was, I did open mics pretty much for like the, the two years coming up to when I turned 21 when I couldn't drink. So I would play, uh, a place on the drag. That's a pizza chain called the mellow mushroom. Okay. Which is the drag, the drag right there by UT campus. It's Guadalupe street. Right. And uh, I would play there and uh, then a place called Green Mesquite down on Barton and Flipnotics, which was an old unplugged coffee shop down on Barton. Um, so I did open mics there before, you know, before I turned 21. And then I started to actually try and book some gigs. And I played uh, every Wednesday night at a bar called the Love Goat, which was about two blocks up from uh, the hole in the wall. And it was an absolute shit show of a college bar but uh <laughs> I, it was it was where i pretty much got three hours to uh you know figure out what i was doing for years and uh so after that i i started to you know meet people like uh like carson who carson was definitely one of the first people that helped me uh you know get actual paid gigs at actual venues so hole in the wall um sahara lounge over on the uh, far east side of Austin, which used to be called TC's Blue Bar, okay. Blues Bar, which was a lot of the old, the Stevie Ray Vaughan blues guys would play there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but I'm trying to think of where else. Buzz Mill was another place that we would all. Um, my buddy Tate Mayu from that band Mayu and Broussard, he would host a kind of a, a Tuesday song swap that rotated every week, and that was kind of a 
Wow. That was a really cool time. A lot of, a lot of people passed through there. All kinds um, of, lo- you're, you're going deep here. All, all kinds of places. I've, I mean, I just know the, the sort of the main the yeah. mainstream bars in Austin, but yeah, you're talking. No, yeah. definitely. <laughs> well, there was, again, that was kind of a cool period because there was a lot of periphery bars that uh, would pay well, but also weren't just kind of like, you know, your classic, you know, TVs on the wall. And, you know, they were still catering to live music in a way that was, you know, people would come there to listen and not just be a random, you know, in the corner of the room background. So there were a lot of those. And then of course there were the standards like a white horse was always, you know, I would do residency residencies there on and off. I've always been more comfortable, uh, which I know this isn't always the way it goes, but I'm more comfortable playing by myself than I am with a band usually. Right. Um, Right. Okay. So and White Horse was pretty much exclusively a honky tonk, yeah, full yeah. band type scenario. Yeah, I went to um, I went to a bar right near there. Um, like we we ate mm-hmm. we ate at uh, Cisco's. Um, mm-hmm. That's a classic. Yeah, and then we, did you go to La, La Perla? No, no, didn't go there. Uh, that was right across the street. It is right across the street from Cisco's. Uh, but, okay, no, we went. We, yeah. we ate at Cisco's, and then we saw um, Hayes Carl at uh, the Scoot Inn. Oh, nice, man. Yeah. C3 runs that now. And that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which they're, yeah, they're one of the big concert conglomerates that, you know, they put on Bonnaroo and ACL. Oh, really? So it's, uh, yeah. So that's their, their club. So the scoot in has gone corporate. Yeah. It's gone corporate, (laughs) but they did, they did a good job. I I actually enjoy, I like going to shows there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, that's cool. I love Hayes too. He's another one of those those guys when we were talking about the you know the depth of understanding and songs he's definitely you know yeah he's achieved that for sure yeah he put on a good show it was you know he was like uh it's good to be home and and you know you, you kind of um because he had been touring all over the place and uh uh-huh. so he was happy to be back in uh, in texas and um it just you know like where i grew up in canada sort of in the rural parts of ontario like it the people at that Hayes show were very much like the sort of the, uh, uh, I say this in an, endear- in an endearing way, but kind of like, kind of like <laughs> yeah. the rednecks that I went to high school with, you know? There you yeah. go. Exactly. Yeah. I, I call it, I call them townies. Okay. Those are townies. Okay. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. a very specific type of townie, but like the rednecks I went to high school with listened to like mainstream country radio because we don't have a mm-hmm. we, we didn't have a music scene like texas has so like the the yep. townies in texas actually listen to like really good quality independent country True. music yeah where is it where the guys where the guys i went to high school you know listen to whatever like luke luke bryan or whatever it was but yeah um but i, I just found that to be really interesting because it was like you know because when i went to school it was like well i'm not listening to mainstream country radio i listen to like you know, indie rock or whatever. But like, uh-huh. had, had I have grown up in Texas, I think I would have been one of those townies, like listening to, uh, you know, probably going to like Ryan Bingham shows and Hayes Carl shows Big time. and stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, no, and that's uh, that's an interesting, you know, uh, point about Hayes and his his kind of crowd that he draws. It's Hayes was one of the few that pulled off the tightrope act, which is kind of like in terms of the regional Texas music scene. He he walked the line between what you call the, you know, the red dirt or the Texas country music scene and the kind of more Americana early stages of the Nashville Americana world where you aren't kind of bound by like a geographical boundary. Whereas the, the tech, he could, he could kind of go to those places and play, you know, to more of the rednecks like you're talking about yeah. and strike a chord, but also he could go to an art, 
art show or club in Berlin. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, also strike a chord, which is a very, you know, a fine line you got to walk because the Texas music scene is very, um, it's interesting. It's, it's very, uh, more of, you know, it's, <laughs> I would, I would put it more akin to the Luke Bryan thing than I would to the Hayes Carl thing. So right, right. It's, okay. it's, it's cool when, when guys like Hayes can, you know, show up and also, uh, be a good influence on, on that fan base in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I really like that. I really like that point about, you know, like kind of bridging a few different worlds. Like I, I feel like Robert Earl Keen does that too. Big, yes, exactly. Um, he was kind of the first blueprint for this, this very, you know, I keep using that word, but like insular regional scene, um, which, you know, it, it's there, there's benefits to it and there's some wholesomeness. And then there's also, you know, kind of, uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of oil money down in Texas and a lot of things like that, that can, can support. It was funny when you're talking about Tulsa, you know, that's kind of that old guard of conservatism, you know, there, a lot of them were some massive art collectors, you know, it's like a weird juxtaposition in a way. Uh, yeah. So there, so there's a lot of, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to articulate this, but Rob Rolkeem is the first guy that really could kind of walk in both of those worlds where, you know, he went to A&M and, uh, you know, was in a fraternity and understood kind of what makes your average, you know, rural Texan tick, but also was, you know, listening to Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan yeah, and, and kind yeah. of was able to kind of make a, a very conscious decision to exist between both of those worlds instead of going, you know, one direction or the other, which I think that kind of, prove that to people like Hayes and, you know, it, in a way I'm not even close to their level, but me too, you know, where I was kind of like, Oh, okay. I can, you know, still be honest to, you know, what, what actually inspires me and makes me tick, but also like, I don't have to be completely alienating in <laughs> what I create, you know, it can, yeah. also, it can also yeah. exist in this sphere and it, to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I was talking to, um, I'm not sure if you know of him, but he's a Nashville songwriter named uh, Darren Bradbury. Uh, and, I don't um, do. um, but uh, but anyways, uh, he toured with he opened for uh, Robert f uh, on a run mm -hmm. once, and he said that like his audience was like pretty boisterous and like almost like fraternity like. <laughs> well, that's and, yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at. I think yeah, yeah, and and they would like, and he's like, you know. I'm pretty proud of myself because like Robert Earl Keene's opening acts had a history of being like shouted down by his audience. Like <laughs> they they just start saying like, R-E-K, R-E-K, uh, yeah. you know, cause, cause when they would get tired of the opener and Darren's like, you know, I think I did pretty good. Cause like I kept that room silent for, you know, for my set. And, uh, and then, you know, he's like, Robert, I, I, don't, I didn't meet Robert really, but like, he's like, but, um, he came to me midway through that run and he's mm -hmm. like, you know, he's like, you're doing a good job out there. He's like, you know, you're the first guy that's really held, held their attention or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, so, um, exactly. Yeah. I, I think eventually he had to kind of learn how to live with that. I, I read, uh, Texas monthly, my friend, uh, Christian Wallace, who's a great journalist that writes for them. He did an article on Robert Earl and, uh, it kind of talked about that, you know, like, so much of his success was accredited to that that world because he was you know in a a fraternal world at uh, a big university in texas so a lot of his fan base out of the gate was 
fraternity brothers. And then gotcha. they, they okay. showed, they showed their children who are also in fraternities, you know, Robert O'Keen. So you do have a lot of those guys that are, you know, going to shout down the opening act and start screaming, you know, row goes on forever. Party never ends, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. because they probably can name you three songs of his, you know? And I think he had to kind of, again, toe the line between that world and folks probably more, uh, in our line of thinking that, you know, or wanting to get a little more out of the music than just like smash a beer can on our forehead. Yeah. Kind of it's, thing. It's so, it's, it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Exactly. It's so interesting. It's so interesting when you yeah. can like, you know, you can write what you want to write and you're, you're a brilliant songwriter. And at the same time, you got like a massive following. Exactly. It's like yeah. You, you kind of hit the jackpot with, you know, like those, those types of writers, you know, like, there's only a handful of them, really. I mean, yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, you know, yeah, because I mean, like you know, you we're talking about Guy or and or like Towns earlier, yeah. you know, and and obviously brilliant songwriters, but like never could quite reach that blue collar mass, you know. Exactly, and uh, I, and that was definitely yeah. yeah. It was it was a missing link for them, you know, in, in that way they didn't didn't quite have the the fraternal connection on on lock because a lot of people under underestimate the. Uh, the length and the the breadth of you know of that thing uh yeah but yeah exactly it's it was always a tougher road to hoe and then there are people like prine that you know that pulled it off but in in a different way and you know maybe not necessarily a a, a fraternal uh you know demographic but like a uh, maybe like a regional demographic or something i don't know but he he's kind of a unicorn i think prine was yeah you know yeah. he was on another level from those guys for sure yeah um, I, I wanted to ask you just about Towns and Guy too. Like, like mm-hmm. what what style of songwriting? Like, I'm I, I'm not going to ask you to like pick a favorite or something, <laughs> but like, what's st- what style of songwriting do you prefer? Like, do you do you sort of like? I, I feel like by listening to you, you kind of side more with Guy's style of mm-hmm. like maybe narrative and and linear songwriting opposed to like maybe the more abstract yeah uh, way that towns wrote like mm-hmm. is that yeah is that accurate or well i i do attempt to write poetry i I don't know if i actually call it that but i've always that was kind of my initial uh i guess before i started writing songs i i used to always like you know poetry in school and english class and i i, I really enjoyed like structure like i still to this day remember you know five seven five haiku structure and diamantes and limericks you know like for some reason that that really resonated with some part of my brain so i i I do enjoy towns more i guess you could say on the aggregate poetic approach um but i i think that that's what i in my earlier writing and i know this is different for everyone but my earlier writing um I, i was definitely more poetic more abstract and then as i went along i i realized that was kind of me kind of hiding some of my flaws in my writing, I think is what I'm trying to say. And, okay. uh, and it, it, I didn't naturally gravitate towards like third person, uh, narratives. Uh, and I think it's because it was just harder to just tell a story, which I, I have, you know, I, for a long time, I've kind of racked my brain about that. Like, you know, I, I definitely, like you said, right. More nowadays, more narrative type stuff like I did, but I also decided I thought that was more challenging. So I think that's why I started to do more of it because I wanted to get better at it where, you know, I, I compare it to like telling jokes, like sitting in a pub and talking to people and telling jokes. I feel like that just doesn't happen in my generation as much anymore. It's yeah, more, it's yeah. more, it's kind of a dying 
art in a way. So, and it was interesting, I, you know, lately when I listen to people my age or a little older than me, they're kind of in the same vein, the Americana vein. If you know that you listen, you notice there's hardly any third person writing. Like it's, it's all very journalistic and first person. And, uh, yeah. And, and yeah. I, I do think towns, towns could do both, you know, he would write Mr. Mud and Mr. Gold, but then he'd also write, you know, to lives to fly, which, you know, I, I both of those are nearly perfect songs in my book, but I, I just feel yeah. like, uh, like Steve Earle, for example, he's, he's usually a pretty heavy, heavy hitter in terms of the narrative, you know, um, like Tom Ames prayer and stuff like that. And, uh, I just feel like those songs are more like, I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent, but to, no, go to, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Third person narratives, things like, uh, Terry Allen pretty much exclusively writes stuff like that. Um, yeah. And he, even yeah. if it is first person, it's like not him typically, typically he's writing for a character. Um, yeah. which yeah. I think that was definitely the biggest moment of growth for me when I started to switch to more of a guy style of writing where I, I preferred to write for characters. Cause I, I just felt like it opened up a whole new world as opposed to just, you know, well, I feel like this, uh, I miss you. I love you. You know, like that there's only a certain amount of things you can say in that regard. Whereas if you open up a whole new world of, of fiction and uh, things like that, I, I just feel like it allows you to kind of focus, focus what you're trying to say a little better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes I feel like, you know, as like, you know, I, as someone that tries to write, um, like, I feel like I get mm -hmm. sort of mixed messages and sometimes some conflicting advice because, you know, you hear a lot of like, well, you just got to write what you know. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, and, I feel, and I feel like sometimes songwriters can fall into a trap of like just writing exclusively about their emotions and their feelings. Correct. You, you know, and then but like I've heard a lot of songwriters say like, but, you know, I didn't I don't feel like I really became a songwriter until I started like introducing other characters into my songs and writing from mm -hmm. from a different character's perspective and stuff. So it's like I don't think there's a right or a wrong way, but I, no, no. I do hear that I do hear that pretty consistently that like as you grow as a songwriter, you start to branch out and and tell stories from different people's perspective and stuff. Exactly. And and like you said, it's not a matter of uh, a right or a wrong way. I think it's just kind of a more challenging way when you start to have to tell other people's stories or stories uh, where you essentially create like a composite character that is partially your, you know, your conscious being and then someone else. But that, you know, it's more challenging, I think, because then you start running into issues like <laughs> appropriation or, things where you might be, you know, like you said, write what you know, you might be writing something you don't know, and it's going to come across as disingenuous or, you know, yeah, shallow yeah. or 2D or something like that. But I do you think- You got to make sure you get it right. Yeah. Exactly. You have to make sure you get it right. And also you have to have your structure mechanics down and, you know, understand things like that so that, you know, when you do find a good story, you can tell that in a compelling way. You know, that's- I think that's kind of the disconnect where a lot of people start that would argue that, you know, ah, oh, no, like I only write first person songs about, you know, how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. I, I think that's the big challenging point that a lot of people don't want to get past is <laughs> that, that exact thing, you know, running into the, you, you have to make a very simple story that might already be good more, even more compelling. Um, 
which, you know, is, that's one of the things that keeps me writing is I'm just trying to keep telling a more compelling story, but, you know, cause even you have guys like Dan reader, when I discovered Dan, which he was definitely later than a lot of people, like pretty much lately, I'm on a lot of, a lot of Tom Waits for the past three years and a lot of reader for the past three years. And reader definitely taught me that you don't have to have, you know, a three or three and a half for a four minute song to, uh, say everything you need to say you know and well yeah it's like on that podcast he was he was saying like he he wants his next album to be like 45 second songs and and he's like yeah he's like and he's like i don't think my label wants me to do that but (laughs) whatever yeah yeah yeah, oh boy is starting to get short with him i guess you could say but uh no it's yeah he's he's fascinating to me because again it's it's a whole nother distilled level of what you're talking about with you know a guy's song and understanding things you meant or when you were listening to my stuff like listening to him there's not much you know i i know it's like his greatest hits but born a worm is it i still to this day i listen to it every time and i really like it resonates a little more what he's talking about like the fact that a worm goes into a cocoon and dissipates to nothing and dies and then reforms and comes out a butterfly. Like, what the fuck is that about? Like, that is perhaps one of the greatest mysteries of our existence. And yeah, and he he yeah, just that... sang it over and over again a few times. And that that's the song, you know. Yeah, it... I don't I don't I don't smoke a lot of weed anymore. But I fe- but I feel like if if you know I was proper stoned, that song would just crack me the fuck. Up. It cracks say, me yeah. up sober. Scramble, yeah, scramble your egg, <laughs> man. <laughs> Yeah. But, no. But, so, anyways, and that, more guy, more guy than towns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's another thing with songwriting too. Like, I mean, you know, you can you can sort of ruminate on like, should I write first person, third person, whatever. But mm-hmm. like, I I also feel like with some guys, like almost the more important element is like, do you sound like yourself? Exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You that's know. A big and what? Yeah. Like whether it's first person third person whatever like do you have like are you original and and you can definitely say that about a guy like reader mm-hmm. i mean you know like it's just the sound is just as unique as it gets like the way he layers the yeah the, harmonies, the vocals yeah, and yeah. the harmonies and and like, like i mean i'm just using him as a as an example but like there's there's plenty of people that sound but like you know that's another mystery of songwriting that i hear a lot about is like you know well you know you hear songwriters cryptically say all the time well that's you know that's when i found my voice or that's mm-hmm. when I, you know and it's like well how the fuck do i find my voice you know yeah. you know what I, mean? I know what you're it's saying like, yeah you know it's like i don't you know i, I like I'm, I'm not i'm not uh uh i just mean like you know you hear that a lot and it's like well i wish i i wish there was a formula to yeah. finding your voice i have <laughs> yeah i have a friend that you really I think you'd love to talk to his name's Gabe Wooten and he's like okay. one of my favorite songwriters. He lives out in Galveston and uh, I go play at the old quarter, which is not the, uh, not the town's old quarter that burnt down, which was in Houston. And then uh, Rex Bell who owned that, he ended up buying the, it was called the acoustic cafe. Um, and he bought that after that happened. Um, this is towards the end of Townsend's life, but Rex bought it. And then, he recently sold it to this couple, Joel and Angela Mora, who are really awesome. And uh, okay. I, I go play there a lot. Gabe lives, you know, three blocks, four blocks down the road. So he's he's always opening for people and hanging out there. And he's just uh, also something that would take an hour to explain. But he's a real, a, a Texas original, one of my favorite songwriters. But he, uh, 
he's given me a lot of really good uh kind of harsh constructive criticism over the years he's been like right. a, a valuable asset in that way where he has never uh never been afraid to hurt my feelings which has been awesome to have you know where yeah he, yeah. he will which i think is where some of my uh my maybe uh, up the you know straight straight up the gut opinions come from because he kind of you know is a very empowering dude to be around. But it, long story short, he said something one time like two things. One thing he told me was like, "Man, I can't wait for the day where you just like write a song." And he meant that in kind of a, a backhanded compliment way, like you know you're get, right. you're getting yeah. there and you're still kind of compensating with things like too many details and yes, uh, overly yeah. or maybe overly scientific language, too many syllables, things like that. And, and he meant that, but then also he said something like, you know, the, the point you find your voice is when, you know, you write, like you talk. And I think that's a really crucial thing. Like once you start to uh, think about maybe colloquialisms you heard as a kid or things that you were around that you maybe took for granted. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of some examples, but like, you know, and like stick a fork in me. I don't know things, things that maybe you take for granted as normal and maybe not everyone uses that to me, those yeah, that's just yeah. like the low hanging fruit of starting to find your voice using those things. And then finding a way to, depending on what you're writing, you know, prose or songs or poetry or just, you know, normal writing. Uh, you know, I, I think once you start to understand that and your meter, then, you know, and, and when he told me that, that's when I started to think about that. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have, but, yeah, that's, no, that's really, yeah. it's really interesting. Like it's, it's like you've, you know, it's, uh, um, it's, it's all, I almost feel like it's kind of like when you just take the shackles off yourself, like <laughs> yeah, I've, exactly. I've done, I've done, I've done like mushrooms a few times. Uh -huh. and it's, it's kind of like, I, I kind of feel like it might, it's kind of like how your brain feels on mushrooms where like sure. you just start to, you just start to see past all of the layers and like you're just peeling back the onion to its purest form yeah and, exactly um, yeah and like and like when you're stone cold sober it's it's hard to um it's hard to get around yourself yeah to, well it's to, yourself you know? yeah like you said it's, yeah. it's definitely yourself and it's definitely uh yeah just you know things about being self-conscious and you know things that yeah. worry you and anxieties and those are those are the things that keep you from doing it you know and that's there's uh i don't know like i always when i'm talking to my friends about you know what what we're listening to and stuff we like stuff we don't like it one of the things i can always hear in people's writing is like what i would consider like uh someone that maybe went that mined a song and then someone that understood what the song was about you know like someone that went into it with like a desire to maybe steal a line or steal a, you know, a, a progression or something and maybe steal is a strong word, but, you know, borrow uh, or something like that versus someone that really listened to the song and like took the meaning away and can apply that yeah. to their voice as opposed to like, you know, someone rewriting the third verse to snow and on return or something like paraphrasing <laughs> it, you know, like something like that, yeah. you know? And I think that's another big step. And, and I think that just comes from what you're talking about, you know, like, your personal anxieties and being stuck in your own head. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's just repetition is the biggest yeah. thing I feel like. Cause, cause listeners aren't, you know, stupid. Like they, they can see through your bullshit, you Correct. know, like they, yeah. they, 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 they can know, they know if you're trying too hard mm -hmm. or if you're, you know, emulating somebody a little bit too much. Exactly. Or, uh, 
you know, like it's, it's kind of like, you know, and I think ultimately like, you know, it as a songwriter too, like, you know, like I've, um, I've written probably 45 or 50 songs and like I've demoed mm-hmm. them and stuff, but like, you know what? I still haven't broke through it. Like I still haven't written one and thought like, okay, like <laughs> that's, yeah, I'm, that's I'm fucking proud. I'm, I'm proud of that one now. Yeah. Like I, I still haven't got to that moment. And, um, I've tried for years and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it might happen or it might not, but like, but then you hear like, you know, like you can just, you just know when somebody's being authentic, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. you, you just know it, you know? And there, and there, and there is a journey I think of like to get to authentic authenticity, you know, like in the beginning when I, when I was talking about that bar, the love goat, when I was playing there, like that was about as inauthentic as it gets probably because, you know, I was rediscovering my like South Texas lineage and, trying to figure out what kind of songwriter I wanted to be. So I was covering a lot of Bingham and, you know, probably trying to sing like him too much. And I was fortunate. Uh, the guy that produced my first EP that I ever did, his name was Corby Schaub. And he played mandolin and guitar with Bingham and the Dead Horses, which at the time was like a huge deal for me that he returned my email. I just cold call nice. emailed him and he, uh, I sent him a few demos and he's like, well, that one, we could probably work with, but that other one, you know, like what the fuck is that? And I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what is that? Like knock off Bingham shit, you know, like, and he, he had already left the band. They had broken up at that point. So he, he definitely had strong feelings on it, but uh, he, right. you know, basically told me, he's like, dude, like you have your whole experience that he doesn't have in your own existence and who you are as a person. Like, don't, don't try and, chase the way he sounds or whatever you know because he's in the same and that was another one of those just kind of really important things to hear from someone that had the you know huevos to tell me tell me how it was and yeah uh, yeah. and and because of that you know i started to be more self-aware of those sort of things which i think if you wouldn't have told me that i probably would have come to that conclusion after a while when i started to notice that people react like you were talking about (laughs) but yeah but it, it, it kind of it kind of uh nip that in the bud and let me move on a little faster. Um, so do you, do you think some people are just like, are more naturally inclined to just like not give a shit and just write like from the heart, like mm-hmm. sort of immediately? Like, Oh, a hundred percent. I think there are some people that are just, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not one of them, but I, I think they're just wired out of the gate to where they're just that cool. <laughs> they just, they're yeah, not, they're yeah. not worried at all. What, uh, you know, straight out of the gate, what other people think of them. Uh, you know, it's, it's more of just what they, who they are and what they do. And I, I've met a few of those, you know, types over the years. Um, just seems effortless. Like I don't yeah. know, I'm thinking of a guy like, you know, like, I mean, obviously the guys we've been talking about, but even a guy like Petty or something, like sure, how do you yeah. write that many amazing songs? No, Petty's like, exhibit A. I don't <laughs> know. Like Jackson Brown kind of was too. He's like effortlessly cool kind of in that way. And, and, and yeah, I've been yeah. listening to a lot of Jackson Brown lately and like, he's another one of those people that the production's always so rocking and heavy duty and lots of harmony and stuff. But when you listen to like certain songs, like call it alone or uh, these days, you know, it's like, Holy shit, man. Like this stuff could really go toe to toe with any of that in terms of just being, you know, structurally sound songs, you know, very, very less is more kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. There's definitely people like that, that I think <laughs> didn't have they to just wake up yeah, confident. Exactly. You know? Just didn't. Yeah, exactly. Just wake up confident. And like, it's, they might not have an ounce of self-awareness, but they just are, <laughs> they are, uh, 
our cool in the best sense of the word, not the, you know, not the uh, commercial cool kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, I've been, I mean, along with, you know, digging into your catalog, I also pay pretty close attention to the people you name drop to, because like, you, you don't, you haven't really steered me wrong with a lot of your musical like, oh, man, recommendations. Yeah. Like, like um, you, you talked about uh, Noel McKay. Mm-hmm. That's, um, yeah. And uh, when, when I heard his name, I, I looked him up and I, I've been listening to that Blue, Blue, Blue album. Yeah. Um, uh, his most, I don't know if that's yeah, his most that's recent. That's his most recent, one, but, yeah. He's about to put out another one soon enough, but uh, that's his okay, most yeah, recent right now, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, that's, I mean, I got to get into more of his stuff, but like, uh, I mean, that that's another example of just a, I don't know, he just knows how to write a song like I, I sleeping in my car I yeah really dig to, yeah man yeah oh, it's there, so there's, good. there's some good stuff yeah yeah, yeah. when the, when this town was cool kind of back to what we were talking about earlier uh yeah but he yeah. uh yeah noel to me i guess he's probably at least the past five years has been probably my biggest songwriting influence he uh he's from the same part of texas as me kind of southwest south of san antonio and uh he you know was one of guys you know basically as apprentice, you know, guy had him and Sean camp and all these kind of younger writers that were around him that, uh, you know, he kind of took under his wing and Noel, Noel was one of them, but, uh, he, he has a great record called sketches of South central Texas. That kind of was the first one of my, my friend, Catherine Legender, uh, who's kind of an Austin honky tonk staple and great songwriter. She, um, she told me as soon as I had turned 21 and met them, met all that kind of crew at, at the, that place, the buzz mill is probably where we were playing most. Um, but long story short, she told me, she's like, Oh my God, you know, you, you need to get in touch with Noel McKay as soon as possible. Cause y'all are the kind of just, you know, kindred spirits, I guess you could say. And uh, so I, yeah. I reach out to him immediately and kind of, he, he became in a way like my mentor, even if he didn't want to be, I, I just followed his ass around and <laughs> kind of <laughs> studied, studied what I could because it's kind of like a, I would always compare it to like a series of, uh, I don't know, like the, all the guys that came before Noel, uh, since Noel's, you know, probably right around pushing 50 now, I, I guess I actually don't know how old Noel is, but he, uh, he studied under guy. So like guy and towns, they had the old Delta blues guys and they had, Woody Guthrie and maybe the beginning of Dylan. And that's what they had to pull from to like create their sound. And then after that, Noel had kind of this vast distilled version of what they had as influence. So he could kind of further refine it down. And then for me, it felt like Noel was kind of the complete package, you know, where I, I could listening to his music, I could hear the, you know, the Delta blues guys, I could hear, Woody and Dylan, I could hear all the best aspects of Guy. You know, he kind of took what he he did all of, or not what's the the phrase? You know, they all walked so he could run, kind of thing. Like right, just, it right, just kept right. it, it. You know, that's what's always uh, inspired me to you know try and write the best I can because I I have someone like that who has done all of the work. You know, he's a, he's a lifer. He's been at it forever and. Uh, that's awesome you know it's, it's awesome just to have somebody like that yeah, yeah big time so yeah i'm a huge yeah. if you can't tell a huge Noel fan <laughs> and 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 he um so he was buddies with guy clark yeah he like played a uh mm-hmm. he um he had a band called the mckay brothers him his brother holland and uh they would play at green hall and uh you know pack it pack it out and uh i think noel was playing 
just a random cafe gig in this town called Kerrville over uh, west of Austin. And uh, they have a big folk festival yeah. there they've had going for a long time. And a uh, guy would always play that. I think eventually he either, <laughs> I'd have to ask Noel, but I think he got banned or he just stopped playing it because he got tired of it. I can't remember what the story was. But uh, right, right. but Noel was playing at this cafe down the street from the festival and guy walked in and, uh, you know, immediately started talking to Noel and, you know, said, come up to Nashville and stay with me. And over the years, he and Noel, I think, became really close. Like one of the guitars that Noel plays, he built with Guy. And, um, wow. Yeah. So he he's definitely. If you can say you're friends with uh, if you can say you're friends with Guy, you must be doing something right. Because you know. Yeah. He, he yeah. didn't. He didn't uh, suffer fools, I guess, or so I've heard. Yes. <laughs> no. He did. I think. I think uh, later on in life, he definitely had to suffer more fools when he was really uh, on the music row, writing in Nashville. But uh, for the most part, his close inner circle was, you know. You had yeah. to, you had to know what you were doing. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah man. I read that. Uh, I just read that book um, and watched the documentary recently mm-hmm. too without getting killed or cut. Yeah, man. Y- y- yeah. And uh, I, I actually, um, I still have to get back to, uh, is it Tamara? Mm-hmm. Tamara uh, Saviano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She agreed to, uh, to talk with me about it and I, oh, I, still, cool, man. To, uh, I, I still have to email her back, but um, I just wanted to sort of, uh, yeah, just talk about the making of that doc, and she obviously oh, be great. Knew, knew guy quite well. So mm-hmm. yeah, she was she yeah. was there with him through you know all of his final years and even before that. So she she did a great job. You know that was a tough task and a pretty uh pretty um complicated love story. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. um, you mentioned Kerrville. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you like what. What song did you? I I read that you won the university songwriting competition mm-hmm. there. What what song did you win with? Was that is that on any of your records? Man, I can't rem. I have to look. Um, I I the way that worked is I think there were a few different universities uh, that participated. It was te- UT University of Texas at Austin, uh, Texas State, maybe Texas Tech University, and one other, but. Um, they had a thing where, you know, everyone could, it was open ad- admission or open submission. You could apply. And, uh, I made the finals two years and didn't do it. And then the kind of my last ditch effort on my, I guess my senior super senior year, <laughs> I, uh, I applied and finally, finally won it. And, uh, I, nice. I'm trying to remember what, uh, song I, that's crazy. I haven't thought about it in forever. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, oh, I guess cool. it was around, yeah, no, I think it was around 2016, 2017, which was before I had put out my first full length record. So I, it must have been uh, maybe I had a song called Urban Cowboy on that first record. So maybe that was one of them. Uh, but yeah, I went, went out there and played and it was, you know, it felt felt like a my first very small triumph just getting to play, play on the, the Kenneth Threadgill stage. But then we were gonna. It was my buddy who used to ride around with me to all my shows. Uh, my buddy Corbin and uh, <laughs> we went out there and we were gonna camp for the night. And we were not on nearly enough drugs. And uh, everyone, <laughs> the slogan out at Kerrville is uh, "Welcome home" is what everyone says to you, which is kind of like dystopian and scary in a way. And uh, right. it, it was late at night. It was hot. There were mosquitoes everywhere. It was like two in the morning. Some lady asked if I wanted a cigar, and she gave me like a. It was like a Salem Ultra or something, like some <laughs> shitty cigarette. And everyone was playing the same Willis Allen Ramsey cover. And I was like, this is terrifying. And so I started to freak out and walk back to our, uh, like we were just sleeping in the back of my truck. And everyone in the darkness was saying, welcome home. And I was like, all right, fuck this. We're out of here. 
So <laughs> we, we drove back to Austin at three in the morning. I'd had enough, yeah. but uh, nice. yeah, no. So that was my, my Kerbal experience, but that's, I'm happy to look that up and I'll let you know uh, after this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you still attend that festival ever? That, you still ever that was the there? last time I went out there. Uh, oh, that was the last yeah, time. Okay. No, it, it, okay. it is cool. It, it is kind of a mix um, of, you know, you, you do get some of your, your classics and you're also contemporary, like great songwriters like Brennan Lee and uh, a girl, Georgia Parker and her band, big Cedar fever. So you, you do get some of the younger stuff, but a lot of it is kind of the, it's like the same bill in perpetuity. So you gotta, right. you gotta okay. have a lot of that, that old uh, folk circuit deal that, you know, is not exactly yeah. my jam. It's, it's great. People have a great time, but uh, not, not my uh, cup of tea. Yeah. I wanted to ask you too how that show at Devil's Backbone went. Was yeah. that a pretty good night? Man, yeah, that's uh that was awesome. I I have not been playing any any shows uh, you know, for for a while has definitely not uh not been uh what I've, you know, just felt like I wanted to do. But anyways, I, I reached out to the the lady that manages that now and uh I just it's such a neat bar. Did you get to go there when you were down? Um, no, I wanted to, but I never made it, but yeah, Man, that's I, such a I ran out yeah. of time. Hey, no, next time. Cause that's a, that you can go there and then you can go right down the road to a uh, hunter, Texas to Riley's tavern, which is another one of those kind of, it was the first okay, Riley, nice. Riley's was the first licensed tavern after prohibition is their claim. And then devil's backbone was the first dive bar post prohibition or the oldest dive bar in Texas, I think is what they say. Oh wow! Yeah. So okay. th- in that little stretch of the hill country, there's a lot of history and uh yeah, yeah. And billy joe shaver used to play at riley's all the time on fridays up until his last years and uh you know you could go in there and see him sometimes with hardly anyone in there you know which is equally sad and cool but um yeah. then then yeah. devils but anyways devils was great yeah um yeah. i just wanted yeah. to kind of most people there's a dance hall attached to it and then there's a bar room and i have always had this weird attachment to playing really small confined spaces which is i don't know why <laughs> maybe it, maybe it makes it look like there are more people there but i just love kind of the, the coziness of like an old bar room and uh so we yeah. we had to uh convince some of the regulars that we weren't gonna completely suck and uh once we got that behind us it was a great night and uh yeah so I, we had we had fun it was me and david beck who produced produce the sound. album right? yeah exactly and his yeah, his dad yeah. is bill whitbeck who is robert olkin's longtime bass player um oh wow yeah okay. and then so bill came out which was really cool he came out to that devil show and got up and played a few since he's partially retired now that robert's not playing a bunch of shows and then uh yeah tony camel who plays he's one of my old friends and he plays in a bluegrass band called wooden wire and then does his solo stuff and so it was a laid-back bunch of people and we had we had fun that's great, great, man. That's yeah. that's awesome. Um, so yeah, you said you're not playing live much anymore. You're, uh, yeah. You say today on Instagram that you're doing twelve hour shifts at a distillery. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, it's like three on, four off, four on, three off kind of deal where it alternates. So it's not you know a full full week in that way, but it does feel like you're taking you know like a a flight to London Heathrow every <laughs> every day. Your body doesn't. You have to work energy. nights. Uh, I'm going to. Yeah, that's coming up. Yeah. So um. Yeah. But I, I love it. That's you know another thing. I've I've always been, you know, my my passion's been there. It's, it's kind of I've always not always. I've told people since I've been doing it for a couple of years now that distilling is kind of like half ranch work and half art in a way. <laughs> it's it has oh, some wow. of the the physical monotony of like a general labor job, but then it also 
uh, allows for creativity and kind of uh, editing and things. So it scratches my my itch for both things. Um, yeah, because I heard you say that, like, you know, you, you write a lot when you're, you know, doing manual labor exactly. or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, like, it's, uh, it's uh, meditative. That, that story, yeah. yeah, that story about um, telling your... Uh, Oh, what's that guy's name? Chris King? <laughs> yeah, old Chris, yeah. You, you, you told Chris that you had to go to lunch or something, and then you wrote, uh, you, you finished off. Man the from the Mountain. From, yeah. Man from the Mountain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a long <laughs> lunch for sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and that job, that was a great, I worked for three years at that furniture shop in Austin. Uh, that it, it, it was always songwriters that the boss lady employed in the back. So yeah. it was a pretty pretty fruitful time in terms of that. You could that that wasn't twelve hour shifts for sure. We were we were waking up pretty late, but um, yeah, no, yeah, that resonates with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, for I, sure. I I do the same sort of thing. Like I, you know, I I just do a, I drive for like a dental lab, like a courier a courier job, and uh-huh. same sort of thing. You okay, know, you can kind of let you can kind of let your mind. Yeah, the highway. And, yeah, the highway yeah. is the best meditation for sure. That's always a surefire yeah, way to get yeah. me going. Are you still like? Are you still writing quite a bit though? Like- yeah, no, that's that's kind of was my my uh there was this guy that told me he's like, I think, you know, he's like, I think you're a lifer, you know, and he's like, do whatever you gotta do to be a lifer. And so my <laughs> after kind of processing that, I, I kind of my my joy comes from creation and uh yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't like being stressed when I'm playing shows. It's kind of interesting. I think that's another reason I have an affinity towards reader is just because he, you know he doesn't like live shows either. Cause there is this like anxiety. Uh, I think I have with like, I used to not care about recreating what's on the recording and things like that. But now it's more, I just, uh, I don't know. It's it, something happened. Something changed, I guess, over the pandemic where I, I love making records and, uh, putting it out and always doing that. But I, I don't necessarily like touring. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I like I like what I did at Devil's Backbone, where I pretty much was like, "Can I just play for tips and bring in some friends, and you guys give us a shit ton of beer, and uh, we'll we'll play whatever the hell we want, and no one's gonna tell us to play Wagon Wheel and yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing." <laughs> that in itself yeah. is worth a, a amount of money to me. Well, that's Having that's admirable, man. Yeah, that's admirable. But I I think you uh, your music is. Personally, I think your music is worthy of a much, much bigger stage. But oh, thanks, that's, man. Uh, that's that's your prerogative. Yeah, uh, well, it might come sure, back. Man. Yeah, it changes. I'm yeah. supposed to yeah. actually. The do you know Mike and the Moon Pies? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, yeah. Uh, I'm really close friends with their their tour manager, um, and he sent me a text literally right before we started talking, asking if I want to do a bunch of open a bunch of shows for them in July, I think. So. I got to answer that. So I'll probably do that. So there you go. I'll probably be right back at it. The, the universe, <laughs> the universe trying to suck me out of my hole. Right. On. But, uh, yeah, man. All right. But I really enjoyed talking, man. Thank you for uh, yeah. taking the time. Yeah, to man. I, yeah, I, I, uh, I love this. Um, yeah, we're going to get cut off, but yeah, thank you very much, man. And we'll talk later. I miss home on days like this. And it seems like all the things I set out to be doing I never got around to them I feel so lonesome In a big old crowd I 
Feels like no one ever has a good thing to say And they always shout so loud I'll give Grandma a call I know she's been alone It's just her and a fella and her TV set And a cat waiting by the phone For the whiskey Money For the rent Pain from the can And a shim For the flow One day I'll remember What I came here Scorching asphalt Sting of burning sand yeah, I once knew love Till she took my love for granted Now I'll never know her again well, There she goes What I was fighting for Guess the hinge on the hopper Went and busted loose Spilled out on the floor
came here for I guess one day I'll remember What I came here for